it's good to have the opportunity to to speak in Brian's absence this morning. I had this sermon prepared for January the 4th, and we had snow and ice, and we didn't have service that day, so um, it's, just, it's just been stewing, I guess you could say, until then. Um, I was thinking about, as I was getting ready for the last couple of weeks, thinking about this off and on and writing down some different thoughts and so forth. Uh, it occurred to me that uh, delivering a sermon is a lot like uh, bringing hogs in from the woods. Our, our young people, they, they know a lot of things about computers and cell phones, and that most older folks never will, but sometimes they don't realize that older folks know some things they'll never have a clue about as well, like um, bringing in 600 hogs uh, from the timber. Most people uh, haven't done that in a while, but... You can do it pretty efficiently if you know what you're doing. The first thing you do is you break off a stick, whack it against the tree, and you let out a squall, let them know you're there, and you mean it. Then a lot of the hogs will always be laying down around the feeders and then where they're wallowing and so forth, so you've got to get all the hogs on their feet. Then you've got to get them all moving. Then you've got to get them moving one direction. Then you've got to get them moving the right direction. And next thing you know, you brought in, you know, it takes a few people to do it, but you brought in 600 hogs to the corral. Is that how it works, Russell? <laughs> okay. We have, uh, we got something we work on when I, uh, the last couple of years when I've given the sermon. I want this group over here to think real hard about your answer. We talked about three fundamental truths we want to remember. We say them at the beginning and we say them at the end. It starts with God is God is real. The Bible is Jesus is alive. God is real. The Bible is true. Jesus is alive. Those three fundamental things, if, uh, if we can keep those in mind, um, on a daily basis, it'll absolutely change your world. Uh, you can say them, but when you start believing that God is real, God is real, the Bible is true, the things in this book are true, and Jesus Christ is alive right now at this moment, when you start letting that sink in, that changes your life. It's... Uh, a holiday weekend, as it typically is when I when I preach here, it's usually Christmas time or um, or Thanksgiving time when the pastor's back home, um, or with in this case with Melissa's family. Would you settle for a children's sermon for everybody? Would you go that way? Can we do that? Okay, I'm, I'm not getting any no's. Here's the thing with a children's sermon: it's short and to the point. There's a tangible example. There's an enthusiastic audience with positive expectations. That's the biggest part, probably. Those kids come up here, and they're happy to be here, and they, they are expecting something good. Uh, and Brother Brian, he delivers. Time after time, he comes up with some point that we're able to remember uh, throughout the week, and... Um, 
for most of us, we can recall children's sermon after children's sermon and the example that was used and how that applies to our life. And we have good intentions about soaking in everything from the main sermon, but we get kind of, those chairs are awfully nice and we kind of get settled in and, and warm and, and uh, we maybe start getting a little sleepy, some of us, and our attention span is, is shorter than it, maybe it should be. But uh, children's sermons really have a way of resonating with us. And Al Betts said something to me a long time ago that I remember, and you got to think about this a little bit, but he said, you can judge a sermon by what a 12-year-old kid would get out of it. And he was not saying that sermons are, are only for kids. He was saying you got to be able to understand it, you got to be able to remember it, and you got to be able to apply it. Many of you remember uh, Mr. Betts, and he was a great friend to the kids. He used to make popcorn for all the kids' events. You can judge a sermon by what a 12-year-old kid would get out of it. Um, so today we're going to try to have a sermon that a 12-year-old kid can understand and comprehend, and the rest of us can as well. And maybe on Tuesday uh, we can remember, oh, yeah, that's what the sermon was about, and maybe on beyond that even. So today we're going to look at a passage from the Bible uh, about an axe. Like every passage in the Bible, what it's really about is what God is, is doing and how he's interacting with man and how he's drawing mankind to him. But uh, <clears throat> we're, we're going to uh, learn some things from this axe. If I had one, I would just show it to you. In fact, there's one right here. See, at Farber, their podium is like this huge, massive thing, and you can have stuff like this up here, but it's just not the same behind our glass podium to hide stuff. But, and I'm trying real hard not to swing it around and break this today, but we're going to learn some things about this axe uh, as we go along. So I'd invite you to turn, uh, but before I say that, I, I've got to thinking that uh, the pastor is like the parent. He has to be consistent and deliver week after week after week, day after day. Of course, in the case of a parent, and what he does today is going to have ramifications for tomorrow and on and on. And uh, the supply pastor, he's more like the grandparent. He's got a bunch of stories saved up. He only does this once or time, two times a year at this church. So uh, where Brian has to, to measure out his material and save something for next week and next week and next week and all that, um, the supply preacher, he's able to, uh, to cut, have, you know, different stories and examples and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, I thought on the way over, I was thinking about that, and I thought, or maybe he's more like an irresponsible teenage babysitter. But either way, I thought, Brian's going to listen to this on the tape or however we do that now. And he's going to come out of that office and say, Jill, exactly what went on there Sunday morning? So uh, let's take it to where it needs to be maybe and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting with the first verse. And you can stand and in honor of God's word. We'll read that together. Second Kings, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, 
Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each one of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. And he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made, it, and made the iron float. He said, Take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word this morning, that you would just open our spiritual eyes um, to see what you have to, to, to show us in this passage about how you want us to rely on you and how you want to help us and, and how, uh, how, we, how you allow us to work with you. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Elisha is often confused with Elijah. They were associated with each other. Elijah came first um, when he called down fire on those, when he's had that contest with the, the priest of Baal and the fire came and consumed the cattle, the sacrifice of cattle after water on it. That was Elijah. We hear there's more about Elijah probably uh, than there is Elisha. Uh, Elisha was a younger man that, that was to succeed Elijah. He came off a big farm. It said when Elijah went to anoint him, he, was, he came in driving the 12th team of, of 12 teams of oxen uh, coming in from the field. So, um, and then Elijah said, I want you to follow me, and, and he did. He asked uh, Elisha for a double portion of his spirit, which would be what a, the firstborn son would get. So there was a lot of prophets that um, followed Elisha, but Elijah was the one that was uh, most like his son. Uh, Elisha performed numerous miracles. Um, when the, the poor widow was out of oil and he, and he had all those jars filled, um, the Shumanite woman's son, he brought her back to death. Um, he's the one that some kids made fun of him for being bald-headed and um, he called some bears out of the woods, and they didn't make fun of him anymore. Um, that's Elisha. And that's the guy we're talking about today. Um, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold, now the place where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, each one of us, and take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we, where we may live. He said, Go. Um, so prophets speak to, uh, to man on behalf of God. Priests speak to God on behalf of man. Um, an earlier passage mentions there was 50 of these young prophets. So this was kind of like what we would consider a seminary. These young men were there learning from Elisha and perhaps other older prophets uh, what the Bible, what the Old Testament, uh, the, like the first five books of the Bible, the part they had then said, um, just learned about the Jewish uh, religion and faith and, and what it meant to, to follow God. And they're, they'd outgrown their quarters. It was time, their, their dormitory or what, whatever kind of a structure they had to stay in. It wasn't big enough anymore. So they, one of them said, hey, let's make, it's time to make it bigger. 
So they needed um, timber to do that, which was very limited. So they went over to the Jordan River where there was trees growing along the waterway there with the idea they'd all cut a, a post and a log, carry them back, and then they would add on to their, to their house, to the place where they stayed and studied. One of the, in verse 3 it tells us, then one said, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, Elisha, I shall go. So I went with them and they came to the Jordan and they cut down trees. So it was a lot like a, a kid asking, in my mind, if you're going to come to my game tonight. They wanted Elisha to go with them. And so and he agreed to do that. And there was a purpose to him going that he didn't know about probably and they didn't know about, but, but God did know about. He's always, of course, he knows what's going to, to be happening. And so they had, they took axes with them. And as we're going to find out, one of them, he borrowed an axe because he didn't have one. And when we consider this axe, there's two parts. The steel head that we keep sharp, and there's the wooden handle. Now, any time that we have a tool where there's, or anything else where there's steel and wood, the difficult part is attaching them together because they're very different things. If it was all steel, we could weld it. We could bolt it together. There's different things we could do. If it was all wooden, uh, there's things we could do. But we need a wooden handle, and we need a steel head to do the job, so we have to be able to join those two things together. And the difficult part, and as you can see, this axe head, um, this handle, actually is loose. Um, if the axe handle was steel, it would, you know, really vibrate and jar. You couldn't, it wouldn't work. You couldn't do that. I mean, you couldn't swing that very many times. Uh, you'd be, you know, it, that just wouldn't work because it would be ringing in your hands and, it, you know, it, uh, the handle needs to be wood. If the head was wood, that wouldn't, you wouldn't get anything cut. Okay, it wouldn't be near strong enough or near sharp enough to do its job. Um, no matter how uh, thin you filed the wood, you'd quickly either break it off or, or, and it would go dull and it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything. So it takes uh, the steel and it takes the wood. Here's where I have to not do that. Um, there is no perfect example. Or, uh, there's nothing to compare to God. I mean, nothing compares to God. He's, he's perfect. He's holy. Nothing compares. In the Bible... Uh, gold is the thing that's used the most to represent God because it's the best thing we have. Uh, it's the best attempt, to, but it, even gold falls short. So that, this iron axe head, um, we're going to use it to represent God today, knowing that God's perfect and this is not. Uh, we're going to think about ourselves being this wooden handle. We know that God uses people to perform uh, miracles and everyday things. He could just do those things on his own, just like he created the world, uh, but he chooses to make us part of the process. So we see uh, God doing what only God can do, us doing what God asks us to do and what we're able with his, uh, under his power to do. We see work getting done with this axe. And so when the axe handle 
is fit snugly in the axe head, and the axe is sharp, we can accomplish a lot of work with this in a hurry. The, the long handle gives us a mechanical advantage, and um, there's weight to the head of the, the axe that helps it do its job besides being sharp. But what often happens is this handle gets loose, and we really can't do anything good with it then. A lot of times people would say, well, the axe head got loose, but does the axe head change? No, it's constant, right? Like God is. It, it stays the same. This axe head, the size of that hole right there is not changing. So little that we couldn't, there's no, we couldn't perceive it, how little that changes. And God doesn't change any. But this handle, it changes. Why? Is it because we used it too much? Were we chopping too much wood or ice with this? Is that why that got loose? I think that's how it got loose. Working? It got loose just sitting there in the corner, drying out, right? It dried out. The moisture content changed in this handle, so it got smaller. Okay, it shrunk. It's not drawn up tight against that axe head because it's dried out. Very much the same with us when we're not drawn up to the way we need to be to God, when we're not spending time with Him, when we're not listening to Him, when we're not acknowledging Him, when we're not praying to Him, we're not looking at what His Word has to say, when we're not engaging with fellow believers and sharing what's happening in our life and finding out what's happening in their life uh, spiritually and so forth, we get dried out. We're just leaning in the corner. And, uh, and we're not very useful then. Same as the wooden handle in this axe. I also thought about uh, when I was considering this axe handle, this, this wood is hickory. Okay? As different bats are made out of ash, different kind of trees produce wood for different kind of products. Uh, walnut is dark colored and is nice for um, furniture and cabinets and things like that. Cherry has a redder color um, and a really fine texture to it. If we were going to build a barn, we'd use oak to build the beams because it's really strong. And there's a lot of it. And we have a lot of it here. And it's as far as wood goes, it's relatively cheap because it's common. It's super strong. We take if a if a if a six by six post can stand there for a hundred years in a barn, a series of them, and hold that barn up. Well, that's really strong. Why not oak for the axe handle? Why we use hickory instead? Anybody know? Hickory is springier. That's right. It's resilient. The oak is too brittle; it would break. Okay. So as we go through life, we find out it's not just what you can dish out, it's what you can take. When I listened to all these testimonies over the last several weeks, it, uh, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It's, what, it's how we respond. Do we get back up? That's what makes the difference, how we deal with adversity. On, at uh, Farmer Appreciation Week on the radio, You'll hear the stereotypical thing is all the, the hardworking farmer gets up before daylight and he puts in long hours. Well, that's the relatively easy part. It's when the whole crew's standing around the combine staring at it because this little part is broke and siding strickers closed 20 minutes ago and Monday's a holiday or whatever and uh, we can't work. 
when it was when we had that adversity, or uh, and and that's just a. We heard about some real adversity in the testimonies that we heard. Okay, we heard about some major illness. We heard about some uh, uh, <clears throat> some deaths. We heard about some circumstances that we knew we couldn't handle, that we knew we couldn't control. And it was how people uh, learned and grew and responded in those times that had that mattered that made a difference in how they grew um, as a Christian. Um, and in all those testimonies, each one was very unique and personal. But God was the same in all of them. He, he's the constant, just like that axe head versus the handle. Um, over, it's, of course, the, uh, he doesn't change. We're always changing. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumbles in time of calamity. And that's probably the, the main message I, I got from our testimonies is that just keep getting back up. Just keep getting back up uh, is what I heard people saying. Because there's all those uh, mishaps that we talked about, there, there's going to be more of those. There's going to be more bad things happen. Um, there's going to be more things that confuse us and that we don't understand and that we're going to have to get back up from. So, our friend was chopping away. And the axe head, it says it fell in the water. I, I picture it lying off, uh, probably on the backstroke when he whacked that tree. Went like this, choom, flash, out in, the, out in the water. And he says, uh, he cried out, uh, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Somebody explained to me one time, if you borrow something, you have to buy two because you break it, you got to replace it, and then you go get one to finish the job uh, that you'd borrowed it to do in the first place. So it's better just to start off if you needed it, and in most cases, just to go get it yourself. Um, so he immediately, he, that's the first thing he thought of is, uh-oh, that's not even my axe. Uh, that's so-and-so's, and they said, that's the only one I got to take care of it. So he, he's concerned that he's, lost the axe head off his borrowed axe. Um, it was almost certainly loose, just like this one before it came off. I don't think it was perfectly snug on there. And then the next uh, chop, it came off. I bet it was starting to get loose. Um, most problems that can be solved that could have been, most problems that can be solved could have been prevented. It's typically easier and cheaper to prevent problems than it is to fix them. We all know that, but we just keep driving with that little light on anyhow or on and on and on and uh, try to convince ourselves it'll, you know, it'll work, turn out better this time. But usually there's warning signs that things aren't going just like they should be uh, in relationships, our personal health and machinery, we're operating, whatever it might be. Um, if, you're off, if you're driving a tractor, for example, there's just a certain sound and a certain rhythm um, when things are right, and if you're starting to hear a little sound that doesn't seem quite right, there's something that doesn't smell quite right, uh, there's just a vibration that doesn't seem quite right, well, it's not. And, and you can stop then and try to find the, what the problem is, or you can keep going till you can't keep going. And too many times, that's what we do in, uh, in relationships and, and other things as well. Um, 
when we're not when our relationship with Christ is starting to be to dry up, not be what it should be, um, a lot better to uh, to take a step back at that point and try to get on the right course again than it is to let um, you know uh, calamity strike that either you know causes us to turn back to Him or um, whatever the case might be there. So so if it was getting loose. Why didn't he notice it? Why would this guy was chopping away? Why didn't he notice it's getting loose? Well, maybe he was too excited. Maybe he's too anxious or excited. We were going to chop some, I don't know, some limbs up one time for some reason when I was a little bitty kid. And besides Dad's good axe, um, we had a hatchet that had a leather case on the head, and you put it on your belt like. Paul Bunyan or something, I guess, but um, we got wherever we were going. We had that stuff in the back of the truck, and I was excited and anxious, uh, maybe maybe orange size, maybe a little bigger than that. I remember I got out with that hatchet, and I started whacking, whacking, whacking on this tree, and nothing was happening. And then I realized, well, I didn't even take the leather case off of it, and so then I chopped a hole in that, and it's just like, so how many times have we been too excited or too anxious and messed something up? Because we just didn't slow down and think about what we were doing. Sometimes we're too busy. And if we're too busy, then there's no margin. I heard Dan, Andy Stanley doing a study one time, I think it was him, on margin. We need margin in everything in our life. If there's no margin, we don't have time to help somebody. We don't have time to pray. We don't have, and, and we, we have busy times in our lives, and that's a good thing. Work is a wonderful thing. Um, but there needs to be margin in our life uh, or we can't grow. If we've, you know, completely filled our space with, with activities and, and everything and possessions and so forth, we have no more room to grow. So maybe this guy was just too busy to, uh, he said, we got to get all this done. Maybe he didn't care. Uh Maybe he was just trying to get the job done. Perhaps he was just lazy and, and sloppy. Um, and we hopefully we're not consistently that way, but there's probably times in our life when we can look at that we have been that way and we don't want to be. Uh, maybe he was ignorant or uneducated about what he was doing. He just didn't, didn't know what he was doing. And then sometimes, in spite of our best efforts, things, things just happen to happen. Um, so, axe head came off. Things are going to happen from time to time. Whatever, if maybe it was our mistake, maybe it wasn't. But what are we going to do now? Things aren't the way we want them to be. What's our response going to be? Um, we could blame somebody or something. That's a common response. The axe is stupid. Did that help us? No one told me the axe head was loose. Well, it's still in the water, um, so we haven't really gotten very far by blaming anybody, and everybody's looking at us because we're the one that had to stand there with the handle, so none of our excuses are really going to satisfy anybody. We could try to trick somebody else out of their axe. Hey, Elisha wants you, and then we take their axe, okay? Uh, kids at school used to do stuff like that, and we still do stuff like that at times. Um, 
we could feign sickness or run away. My stomach hurts. That's been the answer to a lot of things we didn't want to deal with. Um, we could fake it. He could have taken, kept the axe handle, gone down to the end of the line, kept his back to everybody, and just whacked on trees with that. He wouldn't have got a tree cut down, but everybody would have thought he was doing something. We can do the same thing when we're, when we're spiritually not where we want to be. Just keep your back turned to pastor, stay far away, and act like you're doing something. But that doesn't last very long either. That'll quickly catch up to us. But this young man did exactly the right thing. He took responsibility and owned up to it. I've got a friend that owns a business, and one day his secretary came in and said to him, oh, I really messed up. And he said, great. She said, what do you mean great? And he said, well, most people, when they mess up, they try to hide it. He said, if we know who did it and what you did, we'll fix it. And that's what this young man did. He went to Elisha, which was the right person to go to, and said, hey, I borrowed that, and uh, what are we going to do here? So, we know that every breath we take is a miracle of God, and it's a gift from God, and we couldn't do it on our own. But it is within the boundaries of normal. Getting in your vehicle today and driving home is, uh, you can't do that without God's help, but it is a normal thing, and you expect to do it, and you won't be shocked when you do, and, and you won't be praising God because you did it. Because it's normal. We do that stuff all the time. But there's other times when things happen that there is n- that is not normal, like when an axe head floats or when the Red Sea is parted or when Jesus takes that food and uh, a little basket of food and he feeds 5,000 people. That we know it was a miracle done on purpose to show us it was a miracle. God was, he's revealing himself all the time if we'll look around but there's other times when he does a miracle when he wants everybody there to know, oh, oh, God just did that. And he also wanted to give, add to Elisha's credibility, just like when the disciples could heal the sick and so forth after, after Christ ascended, he gave them that power through the Holy Spirit. That was so that people would know, hey, those, are, those guys, there's something different about them. And he wanted these young prophets to see that in Elisha. So Elisha had to act in faith. Uh, verse 6, Elisha says, and the man of God, Elisha, said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and he threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Okay? Does throwing a stick in the water make iron come to the surface? Not typically, no. No, he, and, he, and it's not, there's no... There's nothing here that would lead us to think, oh, what he really did was took a long stick and did this number. No, he broke off a stick, threw it in the water, just like letting a, a dog was going to fetch it or something. So, and where he, so that was an act of faith on Elisha's part. He hadn't made axe head float prior to that, as far as we know, but, but he was in tune to God, and when God said, this is what I want you to do, he did it. He broke off a stick and threw it in. And what happens? The axe head floats to the surface. So Elisha acted in faith, and he asked the young man to do the same thing. Russell read, we can't please God without faith. It's impossible to do. If it's just the stuff we can normally think we can normally do within our own abilities, that's not enough. 
That's not enough. We're missing the spiritual part. We're just at the level where it's like, oh, we like the people that go here. We more or less want to be honest people and, and, and you know, morally upright and have a nice society and a good community, and that's what church is to us. But no, we're just, that. no, there's a whole other level. The level that, that really counts, that's the spiritual level. When we interact with the living God, God is real, Jesus is alive. That's when it starts to count. And that's where we are here when Elisha throws that stick in the water. Then the axe head floats. That's God doing something no one else could do. And then, to me, this is, this is my favorite part of this passage. He says, pick it up. God could have just took the axe head back and put it on the handle and put it in a young man's hands. But that's not what happened. Only God can make it float, but that young man had the ability to reach down and pick it up out of that water. But when, when he saw it come up and Elisha says, pick it up, I can imagine he or us saying, I'm not touching that thing. You pick it up. But he acted in faith. He saw Elisha act in faith, and then he follows the example. He reaches down, he picks up the axe head. As far as we know, they put it back on and chopped down a bunch of trees. Um, so, I said there's two main parts to this axe. There's also another little part right in here. It's called the wedge. Or there should be a wedge. Actually, in this one, there's a fence steeple and a broken off screw. to try. And that's why it's still a little bit loose. But that wedge, we drive a little farther and as it dries out, we drive it a little farther, and it keeps it snug. Okay, and then we can, if we, uh, we could take this axle and we could put it in a bucket of water for about three or four days, and it would be snug again when it fills up with moisture. So, um, if God and man are going to meet together, we're going to interact. God is spirit. Okay, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be like that steel and that wood. We're not going to mesh. We're not going to be able to do that good work that can be done when that axe handle is tight in that axe. But the Holy Spirit, He's the one that gives, helps us to have that spiritual relationship. I heard about these, uh, in these testimonies, these things, big things that happened. And then I heard people say it was that little, small voice. It wasn't the rushing wind. It wasn't the fire and so forth. It's talked about in the Bible. It's that still, small voice that they listened to. If they hadn't listened, it, it wouldn't have made the difference. But they listened to that voice. And something started changing inside them. They started tapping into the, to, to that, this, the spiritual side that, of their life that God has, has put there for all of us to have if we'll, we'll accept that. Um, I got a new calendar the other day. The first one of the year, I'll get a few others at different MFA and whatnot over the next few weeks. And first thing I did is I looked, I looked through all the pictures and tractors or wildlife or cowboys or whatever it might be. But then when I get a new calendar, I start flipping through the, the bottom pages, the, the cal actual calendar, and I notice how fresh and clean that looks. There's nothing written on any of those days. It's for 2023. It's all wide open. And then I looked at 
calendar off the refrigerator, the 22 calendar, there's something on every day. Oil changes, dentist appointments, deer season, things I thought were going to happen that didn't happen that got crossed out, ball games, the day we turned the bulls in. 2023, we get filled up every day, just like 2022 did. And then the next year and the next year, and then and that'll be our life. Um, sometimes you'll hear people say, yeah, that church stuff is okay for preachers or whatever, but here in the real world, well, let me tell you, the real world is the spiritual one. That's the one that's going to last. The spiritual world is eternal. What we typically call the real world is, is quite temporary. <clears throat> so as we head towards another year, um, I'd invite you to think about, are you going to have margin? Are you going to have room for, for God? You gonna, are you going to uh, are you gonna be drawn up tight to Him so good things can happen? Um, are you going to be a useful tool in His hands? Are you going to grow spiritually? The number one thing that would allow you to grow spiritually in the coming year would be to try. I bet if you try, you will. I bet if you don't try, you're not near as likely to. But if you try, if you try to grow spiritually, you think God will bless that? You think you'll feel closer to him if you try to? If you try to make room for him in your life? If you, if you uh, try to connect with him spiritually? Um, God is real. The Bible is true. Jesus is alive. I'm going to ask the praise team to, to head back this way. I guess you got a, something planned, right? So you'll probably remember that guy was swinging that axe around up there. What I hope you remember is, uh, is being connected with God. That's a spirit, that connection is a spiritual thing, and you won't make, you won't, Connection won't be made on any other level than a spiritual one. And it's something that happens in here. It's not just a, a code of conduct. It's not a list of rules. It's something that happens in your heart. Um, last Sunday, I was sitting over there, and I, I was jotting down some things on the, on, on the back of the bulletin for this week. If something crossed my mind, I'd write it down. And about three minutes before the service was over, I wrote down baptistry. It's right there, and I circled it. And I said... In 2023, we're going to use that thing. I thought Dustin and Alan are going to have to get with it because in 2023, we're going to use it. And then about a minute and a half later, Stephanie came up and Brian said, we need to use it now. We need to use our baptistry now. Okay? God knows what's, he knows what's happening the rest of the day. He knows what's happening the rest of this week or this coming week. Uh, he knows what's happening the rest of your life. And uh, he invites you to get on board with that and to be a part. Uh, he wants so much to, to, to be drawn up, you to be drawn up close to him and to have that beautiful relationship with him uh, that you can have. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter at all where you've been. It matters where you're going.